Ah yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. answers his own question, same chapter, same verse, them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precepts, that is instruction, precepts must be upon precepts, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible. And follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible. Tell a friend about this study. Let's get into God's Word line upon line. Well, we are up to Acts chapter 26. And God willing, we'll actually finish the book of Acts today. And uh, what I'll do is after this book. Next week, I'm planning to cover the book of Revelation. And I believe that if you have been following along, we've covered the gospel according to Luke, and then we've covered Acts, which is also written by Luke. And I think with Luke, Acts, and Revelation, if you just weave the narrative together from those three books, you will have the whole story of the Bible because of the constant cross-references back into the Old Testament. And I think any Christian that understands Luke, Acts, and Revelation will never define themselves as a New Testament Christian. There's just no such thing. The the Word of God is the Word of God, and it begins in Genesis and ends in Revelation. And unless you take in the whole counsel of Scripture, we will will be deceived. We don't understand God's Word. And so next, God willing, next week, we'll begin the book of Revelation. What I want to do, just to ensure that we do finish uh, Acts today, is rather than than, uh, heavy cross-referencing, it really reads as a narrative. And so we'll just go ahead and read the story of how the ministry of Paul ends and concludes in Rome. And I'll just comment as we go along. So last week we were in chapter 25. We'll just pick up the story from the last few verses of chapter 25. And then we'll move into chapter 26. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause before our study today, uh, as always, to acknowledge you, to glorify your holy name, to thank you for your holy Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that you'll bless our study, that you'll deepen our understanding, 
that you'll help us to truly hunger and thirst for your word. But not only that, Lord, that you would fill us, that you would fill us with your word. We ask you for this blessing in the mighty name of your Holy Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So Acts 25, it finishes, uh, well, we'll just pick it up in verse 24, where Festus said, King Agrippa, and all men which are here present with us, you see this man, about whom all the multitude of the Jews have dealt with me, both at Jerusalem and also here, crying that he ought not to live any longer. So <laughs> these people are inflamed with passion, and they are crying out that Paul be crucified, that Paul be put to death. And we should be seeing the parallels here between Paul's ministry and his Lord, Jesus Christ's ministry. And that's really what Luke is, is driving towards for uh, Theophilus as he's writing this to Theophilus, Volume 1, Volume 2. As, as Theophilus puts the two volumes together, he is certainly seeing the parallels between Paul's ministry and Christ's ministry. Verse 25. But when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, exactly what uh, the situation was with, uh, the, with Christ before Pilate, and when I found that he had committed nothing worthy of death, and that he himself has had appealed to Augustus, that is to Caesar, I have determined to send him. Of whom I have no certain thing to write unto my Lord. Wherefore I have brought him forth before you, and specially before you, O King Agrippa, that after examination I might have something to write. So he's hoping the king can bring can get at something that he can then write. Caesar, for it seems unreasonable to send a prisoner, and not withal to signify the crimes laid against him. So I, I, like, I've got nothing here, uh, and I'm going to send him to Caesar, and I've got nothing. So hopefully you can examine him and, and find something for us, uh, for me to send him. Uh, chapter 26. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy. Uh, that is to say, he, he feels blessed for this opportunity. I think I consider myself blessed, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before you, touching all the things whereof I am accused by the Jews. So this is a wonderful opportunity, Paul is saying. I'm glad I have this opportunity to come before you, King Agrippa, and I can now answer for myself all the things, because people, you know, there's all these accusations, and you don't get a chance to speak, and that's really where we're heading now in terms of Western society, where we're losing our freedom of speech, and people can, can rail against us and throw all manner of accusations against us, and we're unable to defend ourselves. We're, nobody's hearing the other side of the story. They're just hearing these um, uh, claims and accusations, and maybe some evidence is being brought up, and everybody just accepts it. Yeah, that's right. He's an idiot. He's crazy. He deserves what he's getting. But they haven't heard the other side of the story. Uh, and so Paul is saying, I'm glad that I'm getting this opportunity to tell the other side of the story. And then he says, now listen to this in verse 3 of chapter 26. So let me go back to verse 2. I consider myself blessed, King Agrippa, so he's before the king, because I'll get to answer for myself today, before you, concerning all the things that I'm accused of falsely by the Jews, especially because I know you to be expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. Let me, let me spell this all out before you. Why? Because you're an expert. So, so King Agrippa is uh, the grandson of Herod. He's an Edomite. 
but he's immersed in Jewish culture. They actually consider themselves Jews, although the Jews didn't consider them Jews. But they're immersed in the Jewish culture, and they're even though they're a client king of Rome, they would consider themselves part of the Jewish culture. And and so Paul is like, okay, Gordon, you know the Jewish laws, you know the Jewish customs. I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to uh, share with you an explanation of my ministry. It goes on to verse 4. My manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews. So <laughs> all the Jews know. People know me from childhood. And they know my manner of life from childhood and how devout I have always been to the Jewish scriptures. So they knew me, so all the Jews know me, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify, that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. So if you, if you were to call any of these Jews that are accusing me, if you were to call them to the stand and ask them about my life, they would say, you know what? He was a Jew of the Jews. He, he was very strict in his religion and, 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 and not, you know, there are many sects, but he was strict in the strictest sect, the Pharisees. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. So I know the scriptures, they know the scriptures, there are promises in the scriptures, and this is what I'm building my whole life around. I haven't deviated and become some other religion. I haven't, I haven't abandoned the scriptures. There are promises in the scriptures, and I am being judged because I'm conducting my life according to the hope of the promises made to our fathers by God. Unto whom, unto which promise our twelve tribes, instantly serving God day and night, hope to come. So, so even the twelve tribes, they, they, they have a, a hope that, that of the resurrection, that they'll come into this. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. So this, this is all of this, that I'm actually taking the scriptures seriously, and they have a problem with this. Why should it, this is the other side of the story. So, you know, the king and everybody has been hearing all kinds of things about Paul, how horrible he is and, and terrible and how he's abandoned the faith. And now Paul's uh, getting a chance to speak for himself. And he's saying, you know what? The problem the Jews have with me is I'm actually taking the scriptures seriously. And I, I'm hanging my life on the promises made to the fathers. And they, they died looking forward to the hope that I'm building my life around. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? So let me, let me kind of rephrase that with the right emphasis. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? You're an expert in the Jewish scriptures. And you know the promises. So why should it be something that is hard to believe that God should raise the dead? I verily thought with, with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So, so uh, when I con was confronted by this, these Jews that were following Christ, I was committed to oppose Christ. Which thing I also did in Jerusalem. So I was right there in Jerusalem opposing the, the followers of Christ. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. So I was, you know, 
I understand opposition to Christ. I was chief among the opponents to Christ. And I, I arrested the followers of Christ. I charged them with blasphemy. I had many of them put to death. And when they were put to death, I justified their murder. And I punished them often in every synagogue. I went from synagogue to synagogue, hunting them down and punishing them. And compelled them to blaspheme. So I, I forced them to speak against Christ and against God and against the scriptures. And being exceedingly mad against them, I per persecuted them even unto strange cities. So I began in Jerusalem. And when they fled to Jerusalem, I didn't care where they went. I, I followed every leak, tracking them down. And even if it was some remote city that I had never been to, I went there looking for them to arrest them and to cause them to be put to death and to cause them to blaspheme against Christ. Whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, so he's, he's able now to go to any city, and so he gets authority now, authorization to go even to Damascus, uh, authorized by the chief priest, again, to hunt down the Christians. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven, above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me, and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecute me? Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the bricks. And we have covered this back in Acts chapter 9, which is Paul on the road to Damascus being struck down and having this miraculous intervention with the Lord. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So that's interesting. Christ is in heaven. And Paul is persecuting the saints on earth. And Christ is saying to Paul, you're persecuting me. Because the church now has become the body of Jesus Christ. And to persecute anybody with the Holy Spirit of God is to persecute Christ himself. He says, he says but who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared unto you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of these things which you have seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto you. So, so there's things that, uh, that uh, Paul has seen directly in the behavior of the Christians, and, and, and he can testify to that. But there's also things that Christ is going to show him. Delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send you. So as much as he did all this railing against Christ and, and persecution of the saints, uh, Christ is saying, hey, I, I've forgiven all of that. I have chosen you to be a vessel and to be a special minister for me. And I'm going to deliver you from the people. I'm going to deliver you from the Gentiles. And then I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So the Gentiles can be grafted into Israel and receive the same inheritance that Israel is set to receive in Christ. Paul goes on. 
So he, after finishing quoting the Lord, he says, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So this is what happened, and this is what turned me around. I was this extreme opponent to Christ. And how do I go from being such a strict Pharisee and in such uh, intense opposition to this way? How, do, how did I go from that to being such a, an advocate of Christ and having such intense support, risking even my own life for Christ? What, what, what was the turning point? Well, I wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. It was this miraculous heavenly vision that I received when I was on the way to Damascus to kill more Christians. But showed, so instead of being disobedient, I was obedient to the vision, uh, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works appropriate for repentance. So Paul always puts the Jews first. And so he went first to the Jews in Damascus, then he went to Jerusalem, then throughout all Judea, calling them to repentance. And then he went to the Gentiles, calling them to repentance as well. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Because he had, remember, he had returned to Jerusalem and had uh, finished his vow, and he was in the temple, and there was no ruckus, there was no chaos, uh, but the Jews then caught him in the temple, and then they want to kill him. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, and he's in front of the great right now, with boldness, without any fear, and he's saying, this is what I do. I'm no respecter of persons, but I, I've obtained the help of God, and I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come. So everything that I'm saying is rooted in the prophets, and it's rooted in the Torah. I, again, I, I'm not saying anything new. I haven't, I'm not using a different book. I haven't converted to a different religion. I just now understand what it is the prophets were saying, and I now understand what it is Moses was saying. And so everything, when I'm witnessing, even to the Gentiles, I'm just telling them what's in the scriptures. That Christ, and, and the, the culmination of everything that the prophets were pointing to, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. And as he thus spoke for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning does make you mad. So, so Festus, remember, is a Roman. Uh, he's a Roman official. And uh, he's going to now send Paul to uh, Caesar. But he needs something. He needs some crime to say, this is why we're sending him to you. So he's appealing to Agrippa to find the crime so that he can then say this. But he's listening to all of this. And he just thinks it's all crazy. And, so it's like clearly, and, and clearly Paul is articulate. Clearly he's well-read. You know, clearly he's speaking as a very intelligent man. He's not some fanatic. He's not some, some, some religious lunatic. He's actually extremely articulate. And, and it's obvious that he's well-read. And so Festus's conclusion is, you're studying too much. And all of this study has, sent, has made you insane. But Paul said, I am not mad. 
most noble Festus, but speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knows of these things, before whom I also speak freely. So you might not understand these things, but the king knows what I'm talking about. He knows the Jewish scriptures. For the king knows of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him. For this thing was not done in the corner. So Christ preached publicly. He went around publicly preaching. And then the whole city was in an uproar because of him. And not just the city, but the, all of Judea, because he was all throughout all of Judea. And then finally he came into Jerusalem. And it wasn't done in the corner. Everybody knows these things. And now Paul is showing him that all of these things are coming from the scriptures. These are the promises. And that Christ was the first one, the Messiah, is the first one that should rise from the dead. But all the promises depend upon the resurrection. The fathers went to their graves looking forward to a time when they would be resurrected and the, the promises of God to them would be fulfilled. But the Messiah must rise first. And the king knows of these things, before whom also I speak freely. For I am for so sorry, again, when we talk about the resurrection to the Greek mind, that is absolute nonsense that one should be resurrected and, and be on the earth. That's why they have this whole concept of heaven, that the, the material world is so evil and the spiritual world is so good that the, the soul, when it dies, it has to leave the, the evil material world and it needs to ascend into the heavenly spiritual world where there's goodness. And so the purpose of life to the, to the Greek philosopher is that you go through life conducting yourself to clean up the, um, the eternal soul that's within you, so that when you die, the body releases the soul, and the soul goes to, to heaven and to be with God, and that they just brought that into Christianity. But when, when Festus is hearing this notion of a resurrection, and that the, the resurrected would be on the earth, this is, this is you're insane. But Paul then turns to the king, and says, well, the king knows what I'm talking about. Because to the Jew, they understand that the, all the promises of God are on the earth. And the promised land is on the earth. And God himself, when we look in Revelation 21 and 22, God himself is going to descend from heaven and live on the earth forever. And so this whole Greek philosophy about dying and going to heaven, it's not from the Bible. The king knows of these things, verse 26, before whom also I speak freely, because I'm persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. So he, he's appealing to the king's understanding of the scriptures. I know that you believe. Then King Agrippa said unto Paul, You have almost persuaded me to be a Christian. So Festus, the Roman, influenced by Greek philosophy, thinks that Paul is insane. He appeals then to Agrippa, You know the scriptures. Don't you believe the prophets? And Agrippa's like, You know what? I'm listening to you. I'm on the verge of following Christ. Then King Agrippa said unto Paul, I'm almost persuaded, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all that hear me today were both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these bonds. So, so Paul is saying, look, I'm a prisoner, I'm in chains. Apart from the fact that I'm in chains, I wish that everybody, you and everyone else would be, be like me, a devout follower of Christ. 
And when he had thus spoken, the king rose up, and the governor, and Bernice, and they that sat with them. And when they were gone aside, they talked between themselves, saying, This man does nothing worthy of death or of bonds. And we see the parallel to Jesus Christ, that they couldn't find any reason to put him to death when, when they examined him. And now Paul is the same thing. He's done nothing worthy of death or of bonds. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed unto Caesar. So that mechanism is in place now. They have to send him to Caesar. They're trying to find a, a crime. They can't find anything. Agrippa is saying, if it, was unto, if it was up to me and I had the final say, I'd just set him free. But I can't because he's appealed to Caesar. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, so chapter 27, verse 1, so they have to send him now to Caesar. And when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band. So this is now the person who's going to be responsible for Paul and the other prisoners who need to be taken to Rome. And entering into a ship at Adramitium, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, that is Turkey, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul, and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. So he's responsible for Paul. He respects Paul. It's very similar like when Joseph was in prison. And, and the, the prisoner, the jailer, had respect for Joseph and gave him degrees of freedom in the prison. Same thing here, where he, he has respect for Paul, and so he gives him a certain amount of freedom, so he's able to, to refresh himself with the brethren that when they touched inside him. And when we had launched from there, we sailed under Cyprus, because the winds were contrary. So now there's a bit of a storm brewing, and so they're, they're navigating their course according to the, the storm that's brewing the winds. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. So there's obviously the shipping industry taking place, and there's a ship now sailing uh, into Italy. Okay, great. We can, uh, we can put you on that ship, and that will take you into Italy. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Snidus, the wind not allowing us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon, or Sal Salmoni. So there's some trouble here with the wind and the storm, and they're, they're, it, they're not moving as fast as they would have liked because they're having to accommodate the storm. And hardly passing it, came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, near whereunto was the city of Lycia. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, so they were there a long time, and it's getting worse, the sailing is dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. And I think the fast there would refer to atonement. Paul then admonished them. So it's in like the fall season, and sometimes the weather can be very treacherous around this time. 
sometimes getting a bit hurricanes, and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. So it's not just that you might lose cargo, lives will be lost. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And probably there's some uh, financial element to this as well, that the master and the owner of the ship, the more cargo they can take and the more people they can take, uh, it's better uh, financially for them. And so they're going to be encouraged and be like, we're, we're not going to lose our revenue here. We're sailing and you should come too. And Paul is saying, I don't think this is a good idea because you're, you're going to lose your cargo and you're going to lose lives. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, so, so the haven or the port for the ship, and it's saying it was not commodious, it just means that uh, there wasn't a lot of room. Uh, it was very uh, kind of tight and, and, and in, inconvenient place. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, that is to stay over the winter, so they'll stay there until the spring before they sail again, the more parts, that is the majority of people, advised to depart there also. If by any means they might attain to Venice, and there to winter, which is in a haven of Crete, and lies toward the southwest and northwest. So they're just trying to say, like, you know, let's, this is not very convenient where we are now. If we can get to Venice, uh, we can winter there. And that's going to be much better, maybe even better weather, because it faces, it lies towards the southwest. And so, and when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosened there, they sailed close by Crete. So obviously the south wind is going to be warmer. It's going to be uh, much better than that. It's going to be much better for them. So, so, um, so when the south wind blew softly, it's almost like it's confirming what they're looking for. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosened there, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, uh, there arose against it a tempestuous wind. So at the time they set sail, there was a softer, warmer wind coming from the south. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Euroclidon. So it looks like these storms were given names, much the same way we do today. We'll talk about Hurricane Hazel, and uh, every time we, we have uh, Hurricane Enid or whatever, they, they give it names. Uh, so it looks like it was the same, or this practice we have maybe goes back to uh, this time. And so this wind, they called it Euroclidon, and it was a tempestuous wind. And when the ship was caught... And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running onto a certain island, which is called Claudia, we had much work to come by the boat. And I just want to make sure that I am broadcasting here. It looks like I am. Yeah, I'll just continue because I will have the recording in case it doesn't uh, broadcast right now. So here we go. Verse 17. When they had taken up, they used help undergirding the ship. And fearing lest they should fail into the quicksands, struck sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest. It just, if, you're, if, you're, if you get seasick easily, you can just imagine how horrible this journey is, or was. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. So now they're losing cargo, and they're hoping that this is going to help them sail faster. 
And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appear, so it's very cloudy, they have no idea, they can't navigate by the sun or the stars, and no small tempest lay on us, so it's a big storm that they're in, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So they realized this is it, we're going to die. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me and not have loosed from Crete. So Paul did tell them, and they didn't listen to him, and he's really saying, I told you so. But there's a reason why he's saying, I told you so. It's not just to say, I was right. You should have listened to me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. So this is all on you. And now, the reason he's saying, look, I have credibility, and now I'm going to give you advice, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. So you're going to lose the ship, but you won't lose any lives. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am, so I belong to God, and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God has given you all them that sail with you. So he's saying, Don't worry, guys. An angel has appeared. I have to appear before Caesar. Because I belong to God, I'm his servant, and he's told me I have to appear to Caesar. And everybody that's with me is going to come, is going to make it. Therefore, sir, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, as we were driven up and down in Edria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to, the, to some country. And sounded and found it 20 fathoms. So they send out, this is sort of the signal, like the way a bat works, where they send a, a, an auditory signal and it bounces back and they can tell how far away they are from objects. So this is the same kind of sonar technology. So they send out this sonar signal and they found it that the land is 20 fathoms away. And when they had gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. And fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. So they were heading into the, they could tell they were heading into a disaster. They're going to crash into something. So they let down the, um, they let down the anchor to make sure that uh, they, they were actually going to not, not get into trouble. And then they just stayed there waiting for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea, under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. So don't flee the ship. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul begged them all to take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting having taken nothing. So obviously they were drinking, but they were not eating. Therefore I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. And we were in all in the, and we were in all in the ship two hundred three score and sixteen souls, so two hundred and seventy six people.
were in the ship, and now they're feeling happy they're not going to die. So he goes on to say, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore, into the which they were minded, if it were possible to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, and loosed the rubber bands, the rudder bands, and hoised up the, man's, the mainsail to the wind, and made toward shore. And falling into a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the forepart stuck fast, and remained unmovable. But the hinder part was broken with the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' counsel was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim out and escape. So the soldiers are concluding, okay, we're in trouble here. We're not, gonna, we're not sure if we're going to be able to gather everybody back and make it to, to uh, Rome. And there's no way we're going to show up in Rome missing criminals. It's going to look like we were colluding with the criminals and let them go. So the best thing to do is just kill all the prisoners. And that way, whatever the sentence was going to be, it, you know, it doesn't matter. They've been put to death, and we can bring the bodies. That that's to them the wiser course of action. But the centurion, who obviously had respect for Paul, willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose, and commanded that they which could swim, that they which could swim, should cast themselves first into the sea and get to land, and the rest some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. So those who could swim great, others just had to get pieces of material to float to sea. And when they were escaped, chapter 28, verse 1, then they knew that the island was called Melita. So now they figured out that they're on Melita. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. So these are barbarous people, but they were very hospitable. For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. So obviously in the bundle of sticks there was this snake, but when they um, light the, the, the sticks on fire, the, the viper is getting out of the heat, but then he bit Paul. And this is a very, very poisonous snake. And the people of the land, they know what happens with this type of snake. The, the, the venom in these snakes is, is fatal. And they know, you know, this just, it's an obvious outcome when one of these vipers bites you. And when the barbarians saw the venomous, the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, Yet vengeance does not allow him to live. So, okay, you just received your death sentence. So this, this by obviously, you've escaped, you're a prisoner, you've escaped, but divine justice is that you have to be put to death. So clearly you killed somebody, and that's why this is happening to you. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. However, they looked when he should have swollen, or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while, and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds, 
and said that he was a god. So first, okay, you're definitely a murderer because you escaped the, the, the jailers, but now look what happened to you. Nothing happens. Okay, you're a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, who's uh, the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. So whatever supplies they needed, food, clothing, whatever, they were now so uh, grateful to these people, they gave them whatever they needed. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle whose sign was Castor and Pollux. And landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. And from there we fetched a compass and came to Regium. And after one day the south wind blew, and we came the next day to Puteoli, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forum and the three, the three taverns, whom when Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. So you can just imagine how encouraging that is, that people come from, a, the brethren hear that he's there. They come from a good distance to be with him, to encourage him, to hear him. And so he took courage. He thanked God and took courage. And when we came to Rome, so finally, chapter 28, verse 16, Paul is now in Rome. When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was allowed to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So the other prisoners had to go basically to prison. Paul was allowed to just be with the, the soldier that looked after him. And he had uh, this, this freedom of, of movement uh, within the confines, but not with everybody else. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So he's telling the, the Jews in Rome, the chief of the Jews, that, look, I didn't do anything, and everything I did was according to the scriptures and our customs, yet I was delivered from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, they would have let me go, because there was no cause of death in me. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was constrained, I was forced to appeal unto Caesar, because I didn't want to be delivered into the Jews. Not that I had anything to accuse my nation of. So he's appealing unto Caesar. He doesn't want, he's, not, he's not going to accuse the nation of anything. He just didn't want them to get the upper hand from from the Romans and, and be delivered back to Jerusalem. For this cause, therefore, have I called for you, to see you and to speak with you, because that for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. So the only thing I did wrong was believe in the hope of Israel. And they said unto him, 
We neither received letters out of Judea concerning you, neither any of the brethren that came showed or spoke any harm of you. So we haven't heard anything. I guess they didn't uh, didn't think that anything that he was going to end up in Rome, but they haven't heard anything. But we desire to hear of you what you think. For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Everywhere. And again, this is why we want freedom of speech, so that people can hear both sides of the story. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening, non-stop. There's just so much content there. That he, he needs all day, maybe days upon days, to show all the places where the scriptures point to the hope of Israel. And that Christ is that hope of Israel. And it's in the Torah, and it's in all the prophets. And he's just showing them all of this. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word. Well spoke, now Paul concludes, he says, Well spoke the Holy Spirit by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and not perceive. For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. So, so Paul is saying, wow, this is amazing. This is exactly what Isaiah prophesied, that you would just be dull of hearing, that the very truth would come to you, and you still wouldn't hear it. Be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and had great reasoning among themselves. So they're trying to sort this out. Some are believing, most are not. Uh, they're trying to figure out, who, what is this? And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. So not bad. He's in prison, but it's like a, a house arrest. Because he has his own house, and he, can, he spent two years there. And received all that came in unto him. So it was actually a great place for him to be looked after, and at the same time have this opportunity to preach the word of God. And many came to him, and he was there for two years, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching those things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ. With all confidence, no man forbidding him. So this is how the book of Acts ends, and uh, Paul would eventually be beheaded uh, for his testimony, as many of the saints were, Paul with no exception. But at the same time, God allowed uh, Paul to be very effective in Rome and very effective among the Gentiles preaching the gospel. And as it did say here, some of the Jews did believe, but the majority did not. So that ends the book of Acts. Amazing testimony from the Apostle Paul. Amazing writing by Luke. And we read both Luke and Acts together and, and see the, the, the narrative in its full scope and see how Paul's ministry so closely paralleled Jesus Christ. And all of this was written to Theophilus, who no doubt was the defense attorney for Paul 
and now he has the full narrative.